We'll give you another free agency update. We put some polls about the first summer league game up on our YouTube channel. We'll talk about all that today on Locked On Hornets. We're Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. In a minute, cause we live. We live. <laughs> It's Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day. Thanks for making us your first listen. We're free. We're available anywhere you get your pods, and that does include YouTube. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started, and also visit Every Hornets Box Score. That is the substack of one Doug Branson. Go to EveryHornetsBoxScore.com. You can catch me, WFNZ, every weekday from 12 to 3 p.m. What you got for us, Doug? Uh, 20% off until August 1st on uh, everyhornetsboxscore.com. If you visit the link that I put in the first set of show notes for this Summer League game, I'll include the link in the Summer League show notes or the Summer League game notes that I'm doing all the rest of the way. But uh, yeah, 20% off. Little deal. No promo code, just a link. Yeah, but it, you make it easy. You are a man of the people, if nothing else, and you make it easy. Run. Don't walk. Run to your computer right now and make sure you get that deal 20% off subscribing to every Hornets box score. You might get some info on PJ, some other free agent decisions that the Charlotte Hornets actually make, because we joked last episode that technically Mitch Kupchak hasn't really done anything yet <laughs> because Miles Bridges signed and accepted the qualifying offer, which had mm-hmm. been extended already, then okay, you know, that's something, I guess, but not really. So maybe we'll get something here with PJ Washington and restricted free agency then maybe something on Grant Williams, the one outsider that seems like they could become a Charlotte Hornet. And we'll get to that in a little bit more so, maybe with Grant Williams. But Doug Bobby Marks, your boy, sweet baby Bobby Marks, as you might call him, he dropped more information on ESPN, basically just updating everyone where we are right now in the current landscape. And of course, when you get to the Charlotte Hornets, the main priority, who to watch, it's still P.J. Washington. I thought this was interesting because... He said something at the very end of his write-up. He talked about how much he values P.J. two years ago, 2021-22. P.J. held opponents to 42% shooting as the closest defender. That was the fifth lowest percentage among players to defend 200 shots, according to ESPN's website. And for the entire season, he was one of three players to record 800 half-court matchups against guards, forwards, and centers. Scotty Barnes, Robert Williams, two defensive guys you think of. We're the only other two players in that category. We know last year, very different role because of all of the injuries and the usage percentage for PJ, according to cleaning the glass, went from the 16th percentile two years ago to the 82nd percentile in his position category. Just a wildly different role. All that interesting just to say who PJ is. But I thought this was something we haven't talked about. Bobby said, despite the restricted free agent Washington, uh, excuse me, restricted free agency thing that Washington is going through. And he's in a holding pattern because of the lack of cap space available in the market. The Hornets have leverage, but the risk comes with Washington signing a one year, eight and a half million dollar qualifying offer, similar to what miles bridges did then becoming an unrestricted free agent next off season. What do you make of the fact that you could have two first round picks back to back first round picks signing the QO instead of becoming a Charlotte Hornet for the long term? I think it would be embarrassing for this front office uh, that is essentially 
I, I would say, fighting for their jobs at this point. We know ownership will eventually change. Uh, will they do a full clean house? Will they keep some folks in the front office? Uh, they, they're, they're interviewing for their jobs with every move that they make or every move that they don't make. And to have two players who you came into this process saying our priority is to re-sign our players that we have under cap hold long term to not get those deal, deals done, I think would be a failure. I think it would be embarrassing for this organization where you have players that really are you, – you control the process and yet those players decide, hey, I'm actually going to take control here. And instead of committing myself long-term to Charlotte, I'm, I would like to just play out, take the risk, because there's risk involved for P.J. Washington as well, right? He could get hurt for this entire season, and then his unrestricted free agency uh, is off to a pretty bad start. You know, I mean, it's going to uh, severely decrease uh, the value of that next contract if he were to get injured at any point. Um, so there would be some huge risk there. So uh, I, I think there's, there's value for both sides to get something done here. And I would say more so than on the Miles Bridges case, because the Miles Bridges situation, because of everything that happened off the court with the domestic violence charges, I think that there was a there's a lot more uncertainty about what Miles's future is in the league. And so all the, the reward is much more than the risk for Miles Bridges next season. But for P.J. Washington, on the other hand, I think the risk is pretty heavy. So I, I wouldn't expect him to do this, Yeah, but it's certainly, it's certainly out there as an option. Well, and as we get further away and as we get deeper into the process, the Hornets still have some leverage. And so the fact that you could do that, maybe you're trying to bring P.J. Washington down a little bit. But then if he, saw, if he gets so upset with that aspect that he ends up signing the qualifying offer, then yeah, that would be a miss for Charlotte, especially if you weren't able to lock him up long-term. The other question here is I talked about that usage percentage going, so I think I said 16, I meant 36, still a huge jump, right? 36% tile in usage percentage two years ago, 82nd this past year with the Charlotte Hornets, an incredibly different role. If PJ goes back to a role that is similar of two years ago where the points per shot attempt are up, the usage is down, the defensive intensity, those numbers, those are all, you know, way up because of his role, able to focus more on that end, which is what you want him to do anyway. Does a team value that kind of puzzle piece more than PJ averaging over 15 points per game like he did this year? Higher volume guy showed that he can put the ball on the deck and become that usage, but not really as effective. What is worth more? In the end, I think it probably balances out. I think you understand what kind of player he is, but I, I wonder just how many teams are all on the same page about what he is in those different roles and whether different money comes with those different roles. So I saw a tweet from Kevin O'Conn, man, who was, you know, uh, touting PJ Washington's value and saying all of these teams should, you know, go after him and that the Hornets should lock him up because of such and such. And, and I'll say that PJ Washington's defensive versatility is particularly valuable to Charlotte that does not feature a ton of players that have that they haven't prioritized mm -hmm. defensive positional versatility over the years. They finally did with this Brandon Miller pick. You know, obviously they saw him as a player that can defend multiple positions and shoot threes. They don't they just don't have three and D players. I've said this many times. B ball index had a stat and they ranked all the three and D players and only one player showed up for the Charlotte Hornets that was even close to being a positive three point shooter and a positive defensive presence. And that was PJ Washington. So he's particularly valuable, you know, uh, until Cody Martin uh, returns and is healthy and shows that he was the, 
uh, player that they thought he was going to be when they signed him to the deal, then, you know, PJ Washington's it. And Brandon Miller's probably got a year or two before he becomes that like full three and D player as well. And so he's particularly valuable to the Hornets, but at the same time, Walker, teams weren't lining up to sign him. I mean, he still hasn't signed a, an RFA deal. And just to clarify, he could sign an RFA deal with any team that, that gave him that deal right now. The clock doesn't start for the Hornets, that three-day window where they have to match. That doesn't start until tomorrow. But he, at any point, if he had gotten a deal that he liked, could have put pen to paper and signed it, we all would know about it. So I just don't think, you know, I question, you know, how how valuable he is to other teams necessarily at least at the at least at the dollar amount that that he may want. Well, that's but that's the key point, right? It's at the dollar amount he might want. So if he views that this is going to be the gear that he's going to be able to make the most out of his usage and try to go get 20 million if that's the asking price that's reported, if he was going to get 20 million and there's no team willing to dish that, then that's just PJ deciding or like overshooting his value. And 20, we all, I mean, even I was like, yeah, 20 million, that's the magic number here. You know, is he going to be able to get that asking price? He was going to get close. 18 million is probably what you were looking at more so. We know that Dallas, who has been rumored, now there are rumors about them getting off of a few different contract, uh, contracts that would like create $18 million in cap space for them. Mm-hmm. And so if they were able to do that, then maybe that is what you would apply to bringing P.J. Washington in to the Dallas Mavericks organization. So I wonder just how much PJ wants right now compared to, you know, cause the cap space already eaten up for a lot of teams and it was always going to be, it, it wasn't going to be the wildest free agency. So we'll see what happens with PJ and Charlotte. Um, as we get closer to this thing, you had one other thought. Well, one, I was just looking at total player salaries and it's interesting, not a lot of power forwards, being paid $20 million. In fact, I don't think I can really, I mean, you, there may be some small forwards in here that you could also count as power forwards. Some like, maybe like Deandre Hunter. Yeah. Not, I mean, I, I mean, Clint Capella's making 20 million miles. Turner's making 20 million. Those are centers. Yeah. I'm looking here. I mean, 17 million, Jonathan Isaac for the magic's making 17 Lowry Markinen's making 17 and I think that four position is really weird. You know, it is about how how many positions can you defend? You know, can you shoot threes? Can you not shoot threes? What's your what's your value there? But yeah, not a lot of power forwards being paid big money. You have to dip down into sort of the 12 to 15 range or you jump up to that 25 to 30 million range where you're talking about solid starting power forwards. When Miles Bridges gets done with his 10 game suspension, the rest of his suspension I mean, I think you you have to expect, unless there's some injuries, that PJ Washington's going to be your reserve forward. So Yo, is that twenty just, million dollars? Yeah. If you think Miles, are you? Do you think Miles comes as a four? You think he's the four in that starting lineup? I would. I mean, there's a lot of questions to answer, but I mean, I would assume, yeah, that what, what if he's healthy and he's the same player that he was uh, several years ago when he was leading the Charlotte Hornets in scoring. I think it's Gordon Hayward at the three and Miles at the four. Yeah. All right, let's talk a little bit more about that. Plus, we can get to some polls on the Summer League game. Coming up next, Locked On Hornets podcast. 
We have more free agents, uh, free agency updates to discuss, really just with the Charlotte Hornets trying to figure out what they're going to do with PJ and maybe even Grant Williams. That's the one outsider that you could still bring in. So what are the possibilities that Charlotte brings both PJ back and Grant Williams in for the first time in his career? That's still to come on Locked On Hornets. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel. You can take your first swing at betting the MLB on FanDuel, and you can get 10 times your first bet amount in bonus bets up to $200. That's right. Just bet 20 bucks and you'll land $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. That's 200. You can spend betting everything from the money line to the over under to who you think is going to hit the first home run all on an app that's safe, secure and super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you can get paid instantly. There's no better place to bet on the MLB than FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Sign up today. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get up to $200 in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on FanDuel, the official partner of Major League Baseball. More Locked On Hornets coming up. Is Locked On Hornets. Doug is wearing his sunglasses indoors at, as we record, 8.23 a.m. Doug, explain yourself. I am smothered in U.S. soccer. Came down to Charlotte to watch them as national teams. <laughs> Jesus, back-to-back Hattie. There's your soccer analysis for the day. Uh, but, yeah, you don't want to see these eyeballs. <laughs> okay, these eyeballs, these retinas have seen some things, if you will. And, uh, yeah, I'm recovering, and I'm doing my best here. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Are you getting past your soccer sickness at all? How, how's that working? Is it, is it starting to set in a little more? I uh, still got a little U.S. men's national team in the throats. Uh, yeah, I, it hit me in waves. It's weird. I mean, I've got, you know, I, I seemingly recovered when I returned to Nashville. And then now, uh, you know, I, I'm doing my best. I'm working my way back. Uh, you know, this is a process. This is rehab. Uh, so, you know, I'm just going to trust the process. And, and eventually I'll be back to 100% ready to contribute for this team. All right. Trust the process. That is uh, speaking of Grant Williams here, Doug, I know we talked about that a little bit off of the air with PJ coming back. It, let's say, let's just say hypothetically, he does come back on, you know, whatever deal, the difference between restricted free agency, locking him up long-term and the qualifying offer, allowing him to be an unrestricted free agent again, next off season. How does that affect your decision to go after Grant Williams and what you might do there, trying to bring Grant home after playing high school ball here in Charlotte? Well, I think it still makes him a priority because you've got to have somebody long-term uh, at that position. It just makes everything weird, right? Because then you've got Grant Williams locked up for two or three years at 12-ish million dollars, and uh, that would seemingly be the long-term option at the power forward position. And then you've got P.J. Washington on a one-year deal. We didn't mention, too, that the same rule would apply to him that applies to Miles Bridges and that he would have veto power over any trade. So now you've got two players on your roster that that would be factoring into your rotation pretty heavy minutes <laughs> that suddenly have essentially no trade clauses. I mean, that's going to really lock you up come trade deadline when you're trying to figure out, okay, how do we, you know, how to, if, either way, like if you're trying to go full rebuild of the trade deadline or if you're trying to move a few pieces around so that you can bring in something that you need to make a playoff push, it's going to really kind of lock up your options. It's just <laughs> nothing's good. Nothing would be great. There would be really no upside for the Charlotte Hornets as an organization, I think even or, or fans, if P.J. Washington signs a qualifying offer. 
No, it wouldn't be great. It wouldn't be great at all. And so hopefully if the Hornets do bring him back, they would just be able to get something long-term done with PJ. All right, Doug, why don't you update us on the polls? What were the questions you put out there on our YouTube channel, Locked on Hornets? And what were the uh, results from those polls? Uh, pretty simple, Stangin' or Clangin'. No, I played that. Yeah, well, well I wanted to know on Brandon Miller's debut and Nick Smith Jr.'s debut, the two uh, first-round rookies, I wanted to know from the people – were they stangin' or are they clangin'? And Brandon Miller comes in at stangin' at 63% to 30, 37% of folks thought uh, it was clangin'. Total of 736 votes. Are you surprised by those numbers, 63 to 37 stangin'? No, I don't think so. I'm not surprised at people coming in 60% to 40%. I mean, the fourth quarter, he was he was hitting from everywhere, right? I mean, he was uh, he was on fire scoring the 12 points in that fourth quarter, so that really helped him out. He had what was a fantastic finish falling to the ground. I think most people will abide by, all right, fourth quarter, what did you do for me lately within the confines of a four-quarter game? And he also gave you a highlight. 60-40 sounds about right to me. And let's read some comments here. I, this person, Logic for the win, 6756, says, I watched the entire first game. His shots didn't drop at first, but his hustle and his intensity shone through. Nonetheless, that's what I was hoping to see, and I wasn't disappointed. And let's see, got some encouraging here. Good first game. He will be a beast in, in any position in two years. T-Blur says it was good. I mean, people forget Melo's first game wasn't the best. Just got to give the man time and he will be fine. Yeah, Melo didn't even have a chance to play in summer league because uh, that got canceled due to COVID. So, you know, he yeah, Melo to... came up with a goose egg. His first regular season game is that's what I right. think he's mentioning. Yeah. 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 No. So, yeah. That, well, that's what I'm saying. Like, Melo didn't even have this opportunity that Brandon's getting. I think you have to view summer league as an opportunity for him to make mistakes. I mean, that's, you know, I just don't, I, I just can't think of many guys who have come into summer league and just completely dominated and that was reflective of of how their first season went um you know i just i think this is a time for him to say oh yeah this is what the nba is all about you don't want him getting that look in the first regular season game you'd rather him make these mistakes now uh let's see some more comments nice to see the shooting late in the game but the turnovers my god so he had six turnovers were you uh what'd you think about the six turnovers walker yeah, I mean, we talked about it a little bit yesterday. I think it was when he was trying to attack. I think there were a couple of times where he just lost his handle. It's still high, but he can still do it when he's navigating pick and roll and being really patient. So I think that stuff is good when he's dribbling the basketball. But when he's attacking, it gets a little dicey on when he might turn it over. And there was the one bad pass to Kai Jones where he's coming off of a screen and then he floats it up to Kai, but wasn't nearly high enough. That just didn't have a shot getting to Kai, by the way, they ran that play a million times, some lob, some formation, a lob to Kai Jones. And sometimes it was the passer. And sometimes, you know, it just wasn't there. And there was a force, whatever. Well, most of the time it was the guy that they were throwing it to. It was, I mean, yeah, there were yeah. probably a few times Brandon that it was, was the short. That, that was, it was right to the other team, you know, so, but, but yeah. yes, the other times. Yeah. I mean, it was Kai Jones. Why are we running this play a million times? Uh, QCT, I love this comment. A little stang, not bad, but also not good enough to be a full stang. I so I like this. We're opening up degrees of stanging now. It's it's not just stanging or clanging. There could be a half stanging or a full stanging. I like oh, well, this. What's the pain chart? Well, isn't there's the pain chart right about a guy who actually experienced every single sting? So maybe we could go. Is it a honeybee sting? Is it a full on hornet sting? 
We we need to find the pain chart real quick. Pain Maybe chart, can... bee stings. All right, I'll look that up in a second, but I do have one more comment that I need to read because it's hilarious. Mm -hmm. This person, P. Newman, 32, uh, his comment or her comment was, I don't know what these adjectives mean. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, I love a it. first timer. Welcome, P. Newman. Yes, welcome. Um, Stangen is awesome and Klangen is not awesome. I mean, that's mm. basically... The only way to put it, but it. the terms are malleable, right? We've used these terms for a lot of things on this show. Basically, every game on this show boils down to Stangin' or Clangin'. All right, do you want to know the numbers on Nick Miller, Stangin' or Clangin'? Yes, I do. Uh, well, Nick Smith Jr., but yes, I would like to what know the numbers on him. Uh, Nick Miller. You combined them. <laughs> You, you combined both players and into one super draft pick in the first round. <laughs> I'd like to do that. First of all, I have a baby. Second of all, I'm under the weather. I'm playing hurt for all of you fans out there. I, I've, mm -hmm. I'm in the show, so you have to give me a break. Nick Smith Jr., staying or clanging. And I'll tell you why I got confused. I'll tell you why I combined them, okay? Because I told you Brandon Miller's numbers. 63 to 37, staying or clanging. Staying versus clanging, okay? Nick okay. Smith Jr., 63 to 37, Stangin, Clangin, the exact same numbers. So Nick Miller, there you go. Uh, Nick Smith Jr., why do you keep doing that? You keep going Nick Miller. Well, um, no, I said, no, 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 I did I it again on purpose. I got you. Because um, they had the same numbers. <laughs> now you're making me sick. <laughs> um, I found the pain chart, by the way. Did you want to reveal that in the last segment of yeah, maybe we'll get, a, a I want new you to way. comment on. I want you to comment on the fact that 63% of fans in this poll, 736 votes for Brandon, 520 for Nick Smith Jr. I want you to comment on the fact that 63% of people watched that performance and thought it was Stangin. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't call it Stangin. I wouldn't call it that. I think, especially in the first half, I think Nick was out there to give you all of the effort in the world. And even, even in just ISO defensive opportunities for him, I don't think the positioning was right in some of it, but also he was, it, it was funny. He was almost like jittering. Like he was almost, you know, he was just so ready to go at it. And then in the second half, I think you saw him calm down. He hit a pull up off a pick and roll opportunity or off of a screen. And then there was the one, maybe this wasn't the first half, this next play when he drove to his left, finished with his right, but did so in traffic. And that seemed to be a controlled take. And so it wasn't all bad, but I think probably yeah more so on the clanging side but i do think nick smith jr you know showed some decent stuff to get ready for the second game and hopefully you know fix some of those uh first game jitters and some of those mistakes yeah a lot of dribbling a lot of mid-range shots mm -hmm. not a lot of vision not a lot of quick decisions that, that to me what i'm watching from nick smith jr is not the number of shots that he makes it's not the point totals it's, it's not even the lack of turnovers. I just want to see the speed of the game slow down for him. I want to see him make quicker decisions, um, not hold on to the ball as much. That, that will be what I'm looking for in this game too tonight and moving forward as they transition over um, to Vegas. Somebody did have a question on one of these chats, uh, whether it was for the last episode or one of these Stangin' or Clangin' polls. You know, do these games count towards the these overall summer league total this is the california classic in sacramento it's kind of its own thing these like there's utah there are a couple of these pre-vegas summer leagues now mm -hmm. but once that all resets once they go to vegas july 7th they'll play victor webinyama they'll play the spurs again then that's the vegas summer league record that will actually count towards 
the uh, Vegas Summer League Championship. But I'll say, I thought coming in, you know, looking at the roster, before I saw who was starting and who was off the bench, I thought, hey, this team's got a lot of talent. Got a lot of second-year guys, a couple of third-year guys. I was like, this team actually has a chance to compete in Summer League, maybe for this uh, Las Mm -hmm. Vegas Championship. I'm not so sure after Game 1. They got something to prove here in Game 2. All right, if we want to go with the Schmidt pain scale is what it's called. It's the Schmidt pain scale. Wow, a lot Inspect of new girl pain. references on this show. I called uh, I called uh, the two rookies, Nick Miller. You've got a Schmidt pain scale. Any new girl fans out there are loving the show right now. Yeah, so the Schmidt pain scale, uh, pain level four, the worst insect sting slash bite that this person had ever experienced. It is the tarantula hawk wasp. Quote, blinding, fierce, shockingly electric, a running hairdryer has just been dropped into your bubble bath. So that was the worst possible pain that you can get from a sting, <laughs> describing it as just dying with a, yes, with a hairdryer dropping in your tub. And the uh, the least sting is the least painful sting is a red fire ant, sharp, sudden, mildly alarming, like walking across a shag carpet and reaching for the light switch. So that's what uh, the level one is. And there's a bunch of insects in between. Dude, whatever, I don't know, whatever hit my toe, whether it was a red fire ant, I don't know, left a gaping wound on my big toe that is still there. It finally has calmed down, but this was like May 25th. I mean, it's like a month long sting. I don't know what hit me there, but that's going to be pretty high on the Schmidt pain scale for me. That's why it was pretty sanging. But I would okay. put, if we're talking about Brandon Miller, I'm going to put, I don't know what the middle zone is, but that, mm-hmm. that probably, he probably had a half stang in that game. Yeah, that's true. All right, so maybe we can use that as our uh, as our Stangen scale as we move on, get closer to the season. All right, we have one more segment coming up next on the Locked On Hornets podcast. Don't go to sleep on the Hornets just yet. Speaking of Nick Smith Jr., Doug had a chance to talk with Locked On Razorbacks host John Neighbors about the transition from Arkansas to the NBA, injury-filled season, but all the talent in the world. Doug had a chance again, John Neighbors, to uh, talk with him about the second first-round pick in this past draft. So that's still to come on Locked On Hornets. Welcome back to the Locked On Hornets podcast. We've been reviewing the draft picks for the Hornets in the 2023 NBA draft. And now here we are with the expert on Nick Smith Jr., host of the Locked On Razorbacks podcast, John Neighbors. John, thanks for joining the show and and talking a little Nick Smith Jr. with us. It's an interesting draft pick that the Hornets get or or an interesting story for a guy in Nick Smith Jr. who I know – you know, before the college season got kicked off, you know, just based on what he did in high school, a lot of people were thinking, hey, Nick Smith Jr. might be the first college player off the board. Instead, he falls all the way down to number 27. And the big story seems to be, you know, injuries derailing uh, that first and only season at Arkansas. Is that the way you see it? Do you think he fell all the way in the draft simply because of of the injuries that he sustained and, and, and how that, you know, affected his college season? I believe so, because, listen, when you're the number one player coming out of high school like Nick Smith was, there's going to be a ton of pressure and a ton of expectation. But uh, people have been watching him and giving him that expectation for a long time, for many years. He changed different schools when he was in high school here in Arkansas and uh, always succeeded everywhere he was. But the the thing is, is when the All-Americans with not only Nick Smith, but Anthony Black and Jordan Walsh all signed with Arkansas, uh, people felt like this was going to be kind of the big three, if you will. And because of the injuries, it was problematic. And not only did you have an injury to Nick Smith during the season, but even when they were overseas in Italy and in Barcelona, they had uh, a tournament there and an event there that was more for team building than anything, but he suffered the injury there. And it just was never something he could fully recover from or get over with 
by the time that the season got going and and everything. He kept trying to come back a few times, and there were times that you could see all of the greatness that he holds and maybe the uh, ceiling that he has. But because of that nagging, because of him not being in those practices, to build that up and to know his role and to be set defensively and all those things, it it hindered him a little bit in games, especially when it came to the NCAA tournament. So it was unfortunate for him, and I really feel for Nick Smith because I think his heart's in the right place. I think he wanted to play. He wanted to do the best he could. But, you know, if you're in the middle of a season and you can't practice and you can't uh, play that much, but then you just get thrown into the middle of conference play in the SEC, I think it's a really tough thing to adjust to. So I have no doubt in my mind that the injuries and the lack of games that he played in the college season is what really made him drop all the way to 27. Now, you mentioned there that he wanted to play because I think a lot of people looked at that situation and said, hey, kid, take a seat, you know, take some take some time off, get 100% healthy and, and protect your draft stock. But that's not what he did. Kind of take me inside his decision uh, to try to make that comeback and, and to finish his college season out. Now, I don't know if this will mean anything to, to anybody outside the state of Arkansas, but the state of Arkansas has a lot of pride in everything that they are. It's us against the world type of mentality. And, you know, the Arkansas Razorbacks, there's no pro teams. There's no other major college team. It's only the Razorbacks. So right. if you play for the Razorbacks, it's it's the biggest deal here in the state. And Nick Smith growing up in Arkansas and playing for Arkansas, there's a lot of pressure and there's a lot of things that come along with it too. But he wanted, he wanted to be a Razorback. He grew up in Arkansas and he wanted to represent his state. And the fact is, is there's a lot of players out there that may have been in a similar situation of Nick Smith in college and would have been maybe at some other college team that had all of the upside to be a lottery pick or a top five draft pick, whatever it may be, that after that injury or after sustaining the injury that could lead into more injuries, whatever it may be, they just say, you know what, me and my agents and my trainers, we're just going to call it a call it quits. We're just going to go walk away and get focused on rehabbing, get focused on health and get ready for the NBA draft. A lot of players would have done that, but Nick Smith did not want to. Nick Smith wanted to play for Arkansas. He wanted to wear that Razorback jersey. And so even I, – I don't know this for a fact, but I would believe that I'm sure his agents and, and people who represented him – I know uh, uh, Clutch Sports were the representation for him. I'm sure they had convos with him saying, man, you don't, do, you don't need to do this. You need to rehab. You need to get healthy. But he insisted upon playing and insisted upon doing whatever he could to help Arkansas win. And I think that that's something that speaks a lot to him where – yeah, he wants his future to be bright, and he wants to make sure he makes the most money and everything. But at the end of the day, he's a basketball player, and he wants to play basketball, and he wants most about and people he represents the most too. Uh, so we go, we went through some of the intangibles there, but I know limited time at Arkansas. But from what you did get a chance to see, kind of take me through what you saw and what you think. If if he does get if he is one hundred percent healthy, which he says he is, he says he's completely over these issues. If that's the case, you know, what are the Hornets getting in Nick Smith Jr.? What, what did Arkansas see out of that high school tape that made them super excited about him joining the Razorbacks? He, he's just got a great offensive all-around game. And, you know, He's one of those guys that can take over if he needs to. And there were even times this year at Arkansas in the very short amount of time they saw him in a game, I believe, against Georgia earlier this year. He scored 28 points and made it look so effortlessly. It was incredible to see his shooting ability, his athleticism, uh, his, his quickness, especially off the dribble, there's a lot there. And the fact is, is that there were times where even on the three-point shots, he didn't always make the threes, but you could just see that he could create. And being able to do that as an individual can go a long way 
in the game of basketball, as we all know, you obviously have to have the team aspect, but there's just so much there. There's so much of a motor there that he's so quick and he's so, uh, you know, heavy headed by just going in there and trying to make some plays, which can cost him. And I think as a young kid, it can cost you at times, but he, he has an aggressive nature to him. And it'll be interesting because I, I think this will be some Hornets fans could probably see too. He's a little spastic at times. You'll see him on the court where he may not even have the ball in his hands, but he'll kind of do this like little thing where he'll jump up and throw his arms out. And you're like, is he mad? Is he sad? Is he, is he like frustrated? Like, what is it? He's just someone who is, when he's on that court, 120 miles an hour. And, and if there's something that he sees, and it could be something that the other team's doing, as not even his team, but he'll have a reaction because he does not hold it in very well as far as keeping it together and holding his, his reactions in. So it, it'll be interesting to see how all that works. But they're getting a guy who, when he's on the court, there's, there's no taking off. There's no uh, lackadaisical play. He is 100 miles an hour all the time and will not allow his effort to be defining of him, especially when it's a low effort mentality because he doesn't have that. I mean, I get it. Listen, I get it. I'm like that at breakfast. You know, you throw a chocolate chip waffle in front of me. You throw some hashies with some onions. I'm spastic, too. I get I go 100 miles an hour. So, listen, me and Nick, what I'm saying is Nick Smith Jr. and I basically the same kind of athlete. He does it on the court. I do it um, in front of a breakfast plate. So I get it. Uh, John Neighbors, thank you so much for sharing your expertise here. The host of the Locked On Razorbacks podcast, uh, taking us inside Nick Smith Jr., doing a little scouting report. Really appreciate it, John. Absolutely. Anytime, man. Appreciate it. Big thanks to John Neighbors joining Doug, talking about the second first-round pick for the Charlotte Hornets. And we'll see what the Hornets are able to do tonight. They play the Golden State Warriors on ESPN. Tip is set, I believe, for 6 p.m. Eastern time. So a little bit earlier, you'll get to see the Charlotte Hornets play against Golden State. And then this will conclude the California Classic. Then they'll move on, at least for the Charlotte Hornets, and then they'll move on to Vegas, and then they'll be playing every other day. That's kind of how their schedule is going to go this summer league. That'll do it for Lockdown Hornets. Thanks for making us your first listen. We're free and available anywhere you get your pods, and that includes YouTube. Make sure you check out Game to Game NBA and make that your second listen. Every top performance, every result. Lockdown Game to Game covers every game from across the league with local analysis that only Lockdown can deliver. Follow Game to Game on Lockdown NBA, available on YouTube and again wherever you get your podcast. We'll be back tomorrow to break down the second summer league game.